everyone. This is Straight Talk with the Doc. I'm your host, Haley, and I'm here today with addiction medicine specialist, Dr. Bot. Hi, Haley. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Ba, I'm excited to talk to you today because you offer a unique perspective on our topic today. Your professional life is in the addiction medicine community, so you know what's really going on when most of us are just gathering our own news and not living in it day to day. Right now, over 49% of Americans are vaccinated against COVID-19. Although the risks of COVID are not over, a lot of people have been able to return to a more normal life with mask mandates lifted in certain areas and some businesses being able to open back up. But even if COVID was completely gone today, a lot of the damage that has already been done is irreversible. Over 93,000 people died from a drug overdose last year, and some experts say that this is in part due to impacts from COVID, like isolating those with an addiction and making it difficult to get treatment. Dr. Bott, now that things are starting to change in our society with COVID, what is it like in the world of addiction medicine currently? Well, you gave a lot of uh, statistics there, and um, I appreciate that that background. Um, with addiction, by virtue of the, the, the disease itself, when somebody's suffering with addiction, they're going to look to find ways to use substances. I think early on, when the pandemic first hit, we did see um, a lot of people when they were, you know, socially isolating, probably not have access to the drugs um, or alcohol. But that quickly changed because as whatever factors that led to further worsening of the way they felt, um, they also were able to come up with ways to obtain their drugs and alcohol. And also for the drug dealers, they probably found out ingenious ways to get the drugs to people willing to to buy. Um, we saw that, and as a result, we saw such a spike in in overdoses, especially when it came to opioids. And we know we've been dealing this with that for quite a long time, for many years. You know that 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 stat or the situation that we're dealing with now of how many people are vaccinated and where are we going to go? Well, I believe there's this other inertia, another group of people that are going to celebrate when they're now getting free. And they're able to return back to normalcy. And if somebody's suffering with addiction or somewhat ready to to use or abuse, well, they're going to use this as an opportunity to go out and use more. Now, so I don't think it's going to it's going to turn back in any way. So it's kind of like a double edged sword. Yes, there was a problem from isolation and quarantining, and you know, not having access to the people who support us in a healthy way. And that led to people getting more depressed, more anxious, and, and using. And similarly, I think people who want to use the opening up of things again as a way to celebrate, they're also going to use this to rebound from that and um, pursue drugs. And that is the nature of addiction. We come up with whatever cognition needed and whatever realism that we need to end up using to serve the purpose and fuel the addiction that we have. And that's unfortunately, that's the part of why addiction is so uh, detrimental, because um, whatever rationalization we need to, to provide to our heads, to our minds, we will put it in place. But uh, one thing I wanted to add to you, though, is we're probably going to see pockets of this because that statistic about how many people are vaccinated, it's not evenly spread. You know, we have people that are more vaccinated in certain states than in others, and that 
is why we have an, a, a rise right now. We are seeing an increase of COVID cases in many parts of the country. And my fear is, is that then it's going to transmit to areas uh, all over the country and those unvaccinated people more are going to suffer, um, at least statistically and from the, what the science we're, we're seeing. So um, it's going to be very hard to predict where this is all going to go. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. One of the surveys I read found that 40% of respondents indicated that their substance use had increased during COVID. If COVID cases increase in certain populations, say unvaccinated populations, do you think substance abuse will increase as well? Yeah, I, I definitely see, like the way we're, like anything that's happening right now, we see it in the economy, first of all. Many people are living like it's like this bucket list living. They're living like it's the end of the world. So they're coming out of the pandemic with all this pent up, you know, frustration because we have this inability to delay our own gratification, even if it's to our own benefit. So many people are out there spending money, living life, doing things where traditionally at this time of the year, we would see certain tourist areas um, slowing down and certain tourist areas going up. But, you know, people are traveling, people are getting together, people are doing things. And, and it's not going to be much different when it comes to substance use. I think with substance use, you're going to see that continued usage. You're going to see that continued usage against uh, amongst people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. So only time can tell of what that result can be without being too speculative. So um, can it cause more damage? Yeah, if you're unvaccinated and get COVID and you're socially um, you know, interacting with people, there's, of course, increased, increased likelihood that you can um, catch something. But that can happen with any sort of airborne illness, not just necessarily COVID. Um, so um, that risk is there. People are going to be out there. They're going to start to use again. They're going to start to use in groups. So if you're unvaccinated and somebody around you has COVID, your increased likelihood to get it is, uh, is present. Okay. From the same survey, I saw that 47% of people said that they started sharing syringes or other paraphernalia during COVID because they didn't have access to harm reduction or needle exchange programs. Have these programs returned to full capacity or has COVID changed how they operate? Well, not things have started to return and have returned. We even shifted the way we, we bring programs back to life. You know, um, one was about, um, you know, the way we, we provide services. Things did transition to telehealth everything from treatment programs to private practices to, um, you know, A and NA groups uh, as it pertains to like needle exchange and other things. Yeah, they have started to come back um, and are in place. Many people are still asking to wear masks when it comes to certain situations um, where the mixture of vaccinated and unvaccinated people exist, especially indoors. You know, there is a push to um, everybody have source control and wear masks. So, um, yeah, things have started to come back in place. And again, using technology and using other methods to help provide, you know, these services. Um, again, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's ironic, you know, when, when, you know, people are ending up using and, and ultimately their use is going to cause negative effects. Um, yeah, needle exchange situations, it's all harm reduction. And that access was um, stopped. So um, hopefully if they are going to use, I hate to even say this, but 
you know, when we talk about harm reduction, we're just talking about if you're going to do it, we want you to be as safe as possible, even though knowing that using it is not being safe. But uh, again, I think this is a, a public service endeavor. Um, it is um, prevention. And um, hopefully these um, programs are, get back up to speed as much as possible because, of course, uh, we need to support people um, but not support the addiction, unfortunately. In regards to those harm reduction programs, um, 38% of people said that they believed they were at a higher risk of overdose during COVID. Do you think the availability of the vaccine may help reduce these rates in the next year? Um, as we saw and as we see with the disease of addiction, addiction unfortunately causes us to develop a lot of cognitive distortions. So we will use when, when we're addicted, any, any form, any rationalization, any situation to further perpetuate our substance use. So it can be the pandemic, being a situation as to why we're using, and then now they're coming out of the pandemic as to why we're using. So if somebody's on the right path to recovery, I think they can use any sort of situation to be the catalyst as to continue seeking sobriety and um, trying to achieve recovery. Um, can the vaccine help? Of course, I think the vaccine can help um, keep people safe from getting secondary um, you know, getting COVID and if COVID can be prevented or at least exposure um, is minimized or if you end up getting it, that the, the severity of the disease um, is not as severe, this can all help anybody not have any sort of um, morbidity, sickness, illness. And so there's one less reason to, um, you know, have an excuse or a rationalization to go use. Oh, can you believe I'm dealing with this? Um, now I might as well use to go cope with this. So, you know, it really depends on the individual. But we know the disease of addiction is, a, is, a, is an interplay, interaction between these cognitive distortions, emotions, thoughts, related brain, you know, neurochemicals that motive us, motivates us to seek a reward. So it depends where we are within our disease. Can the vaccine help? Yeah, help reduce um, potentially getting COVID. Um, but what what does that result, what, how will that manifest in the person's behavior to seek out drugs or not seek out drugs? Well, that will be, have to be determined. So it really depends on the individual and their motivation for substance use. I, I definitely think that's a, that's a big part, you know, because, um, you know, again, what, what trajectory was that person on? Somebody can use something um, negative um, to, to end up being a, a catalyst for change. Or some people can see it as a positive and end up going out and, again, celebrating. It really depends on the person's perspective and, again, where they were and what trajectory they were going on um, up until that moment. Because situations um, are what we react to. And um, if we have bad coping mechanisms and uh, lack of supportive structure around us, um, you know, it, it can really play out differently for each individual. Yeah. Yeah. So at the beginning of COVID, there was definitely a decreased access to substances. I think that's kind of leveled out now. But even during that time, substance use remained the same and even increased in uh, for some people. Why didn't a decreased access decreased rates of substance abuse? Because people are very smart. People are very smart. 
people will go through um go to many different efforts and attempts to obtain their drugs um so once we're hit with an obstacle people find a way to go around it and so people were opening up accounts drug dealers were finding a way to communicate and um, gain access to people who um, maybe initially didn't have access to them they were using um, methodologies that we were using to provide treatments and uh, communicate they were doing the same thing um, online uh, through uh, video services um, people were gaining access and um, so it's like anything in, in life, you know, if they if they have to find a way to go underground, if they have to find a way to circumvent, um, people come up with very ingenious ways to uh, get access. So it was only a temporary obstacle and um, has unfortunately been circumvented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's something we see just the extreme lengths that people will go to to get their drug of choice. Exactly. You know, by virtue of addiction in itself, you know, you're not looking out for negative consequences or you don't recognize them as well. That's part of the barrier of where the insight lacks of why we continue to use. So, you know, addiction is so multifactorial. There's so many different things that influence somebody to continue to use. But I repeat, you know, there's a, a, a interaction of, you know, cognition, memory, motivation, um, the related brain circuitry that starts to change and that reward that we obtain that unfortunately, no matter what um, is going on, if we want that drug, we'll get up and go and find a way to get it. Yeah. Um, I want to switch to another kind of topic within this topic. Uh, something I read was that those with substance use disorders are at a higher risk for contracting COVID. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, Anybody who engages in dangerous behavior, um, again, look at all of the factors of why people who use substances are prone to other types of diseases and illnesses. One, we tend to not care or not recognize the negative things around us. We're not protective of ourselves. We often will share needles. Needles can contract illnesses and bloodborne illnesses. We tend to um, often start to neglect our hygiene and our self-care. So uh, things that can be transmitted just by touch um, will continue to happen. Um, you know, we drive or we ride or we mo operate motor vehicles while under the influence. So the point is, is that there's such risky behavior and there's lack of recognition of that risky behavior that any ways that could protect us from COVID could be thrown out the window. So yes, there's increased risk to develop this um, just because they might not say, I need to social distance. They might not recognize that somebody who's coughing all over or sneezing all over needs to be stayed away from. The person themselves could go out and if they're coughing or sneezing, might not get a, a COVID test or any sort of test to see if they're ill in any sort of way because self-preservation is not number one on their hierarchy. self um, euphoria is or escaping from pain that's the number one motivation to continue to use so um, when you look at positive and negative reinforcement um, and drugs become the number one thing you're pursuing you know there's going to be a lot of collateral damage because you're not going to be looking out for yourself per se you're looking out for that euphoria you're looking to get high 
or you're looking to escape from whatever withdrawal symptoms or pain that you're suffering from. Um, either way, it puts us in harm's way. And uh, COVID could be um, something that they put themselves in front of or not protect themselves from. Yeah. So, I mean, substance use, it really puts you at risk for a lot of health issues, not just COVID. Definitely. Definitely. A lot of risk. A lot of risk. For somebody who has a substance use disorder, maybe they're in recovery or they're, you know, still abusing the substance. Do they need to disclose that before they receive a COVID vaccine? I, I, I don't believe anywhere it's stipulated or states or mandates that anybody has to disclose um, anything except are you allergic to probably any ingredient in, in the vaccination. So um, from my understanding, um, there is no such um, requirement stipulation or of disclosure regarding that. People might think that, People might want to come up with that. People might say that to rationalize not to go and get something. And again, I'm not just speaking about the vaccine, about anything. Oh, I don't want to, you know, because people are feeling guilty. They're embarrassed. They're, they're, there's a lot of shame and it, it's hidden. So, um, yeah, if that was the case, I'm sure people won't go out and get it. They'll look for whatever reason they need to, to hide it. And, and rightfully so, nobody's really proud to be suffering with addiction. And, and so, um, but anyway, yeah, I don't believe there's anywhere that stipulates that you have to disclose that. And that should not be an obstacle if someone indeed wants to get vaccinated. I want to talk about the mental health effects of COVID. You know, that's something that we hear about all the time. Um, what kind of long-term mental health problems can occur um, after maybe having COVID or being around someone with COVID? So I, I, I'm, I think that the, the first thing people have faced people who don't have an underlying condition who don't have an underlying mental illness who don't have an underlying substance abuse condition people are anxious about this you know i think the first thing we saw was people worry what is it it's the unknown when we're not aware of any something we don't know what it's capable of doing and such mixed messages came out oh my god it was just like a continuous bombardment of conflicting information and inconsistencies from our governments to our regulatory bodies, it made people who are even sure of themselves question what's real and what's not. Then we had this other side of people throwing conspiracy theory um, origins in this whole thing. So um, the bottom line is it created a lot of uncertainty and anxiety was there. And I think anxiety still persists. And after the adrenaline and the hype and everything starts to settle down, we will see persistent anxiety in many people uh, or worsening of anxiety um, for people who had it. Um, and, and again, I'm talking about there's always nuances in there. People who could be in treatment might have developed coping skills and resiliencies that might make them more uh, resilient to certain things uh, because they're preparing themselves. But uh, anxiety uh, we see is going to be uh, a big one. Then, of course, depression. Uh, on the flip side, once you figured out that there may be nothing you can do about it or you look at this as, as something that's changed your whole life or whatever insult that is perceived, it can cause people to become very isolated, uh, depressed. And I, I believe that you're, you're going to see a lot of this as a, as a fallout. Um, Post-traumatic stress disorder. It might not fit the prototypical um, definition of the harm in the criteria that could be caused. But just that chronic stressor of this ongoing unknown, it could this, I mean, people are deadly afraid of this. And they should be to a certain degree that this is something that uh, could potentially kill somebody. 
Um, but for our normal healthy person, um, the likelihood is uh, is lower. But again, because it's unknown and it's it's there's so much variation and so many mixed messages that have been out there, I think we will see um, a lot of uh, trauma related fallout because of this. So um, yeah, the, the, I know it's 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 kind of early still because it hasn't ended. It's kind of perpetuate. And what do we see in clinical practice? We do see a lot of people who are anxious, who are depressed, and who are um, suffering from trauma. Um, not so much as it relates to COVID-19 in an inpatient or residential situation, but we have seen it as it relates to people who are seeking outpatient services. We have seen a lot of this. So um, yeah, this is, this is going to be very interesting on how this is going to play out. But, um, you know, people can't take control. One of the things people can do is try and take control to minimize the negative outcomes of things um, by being preventative, cautious, you know, you, following certain guidelines that can help you stay safe. It's interesting that you mention, I guess, the anxiety that's brought on by all the inconsistencies that people see, because that's actually something I was reading about. You know, people open up their phones or they get on the Internet and every time they do that, they see something different. It's not like we can blame anybody, you know, because people were trying, agencies were trying, the CDC, the WHO, um, you know, they're trying to get a grip on it themselves. It's one of those things that we want to alert you, but we don't want to, you know, uh, falsely alert anybody. And when you get caught between those decisions, you know, and I know we hold government agencies and um, certain agencies to a higher standard because they're, they're supposed to be experts. They have to be able to gauge this stuff. They should not have to be instructed on how to prepare for this because money and support and they've, they're trained into detecting these type of things. So, you know, I think there could be a lot of criticism. There is a lot of criticism that's going out there as to who's doing what and why. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we also have to use our own judgment here. But uh, when we, this is something that was very strange for me as a, as a physician and as a psychiatrist, you know, I could say, how come the world didn't look at this as in one unified front? You know, again, if this was an alien or something foreign that was um, attacking us and it was, in, it could destroy us equally. Um, yes, some people might have some underlying risk factors. Why didn't we have a unified stance? But it's because we were given um, non-unified messages. So um, I don't want to get into the politics of that whole thing. But um, yeah, I think the fact that we've had um, people who we look to for guidance and support send such conflicting messages, then um, it's created a lot of anxious, depressed and stressed out people across the world. And it's very sad. Yeah, absolutely. I can you know see how that would trigger a lot of anxiety. Um, are some people more susceptible to that anxiety or other mental health problems? Yeah, that's why I, I yeah, I go back to resilience. You know, resilience is our ability to, you know, overcome and, and, and resist and, 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 and end up not being as susceptible to certain things. And, you know, people who do have, you know, better healthy coping skills, don't have underlying, you know, substance or mental health issues, who have good social supportive networks who do have a secure employment and a stream of steady income, you know, things that would generally allow us to be more resilient to other things that we cannot control. So we tend to be more resilient in facing any obstacle in life that way. 
So um, when you don't have those supportive mechanisms around you, you have increased risk for, for developing some sort of uh, negative effect to this. But this is, this is something that we haven't seen before in, in, uh, in most people's lifetime. It's unprecedented for many people. So it's very hard to have a barometer of what people should and should not react like. So it, it's, very, it's very hard to then determine what resiliency is. Because how resilient should you be when you you know there's no real benchmark for for this type of situation? So um, again, it's it's very difficult. But usually, if you have a lot of supportive protective factors in general and security that's that person perceives within them, those people will then react better to any sort of negative circumstance. Mm-hmm. So would you say it depends more so on the individual and their support system, um, or does having COVID at some point put you at risk for developing a mental health disorder? You know, does it depend on the person? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's very individualized. But again, I think if we extrapolate from what we know about things that keep us healthier, you know, if you have somebody who's there that you look at um, as, as a support system, a spouse, uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, you know, significant other family, if you are somewhat spiritual or you have a sense of community if you go to church or other things again i'm not saying that people who don't do these things or have these situations are not resilient i'm not saying that but we do show outcomes when you have employment when you have a source of income when you have good health when you have um you know all of these factors in place no presence of any significant medical problems or mental health problems so when things are thrown at you you tend to tap into those resources that help you overcome so having COVID right then, and it could be a negative uh, and is negative, but if you have those protective factors and support systems in place, uh, your chance of overcoming it, if we keep all of the variables fixed, is probably higher with those people that have those type of uh, protective factors. Mm-hmm. Right, because bad things are going to happen. You know, that's just life, but building up that support system is crucial, especially in a time like this. But yeah, but you know, in the end, yeah, that's that's a, that's valid. But I don't think people were prepared for this. And really, how can you be prepared? I think we've seen a lot of infections in the past. Um, we've seen other type of uh, epidemics happen. People have heard about certain other illnesses that resemble coronavirus, COVID nineteen, but it never really affected the world. And it's like we, we other diseases were captured earlier or they were somewhat contained better. Um, this thing has spread and it spread to a degree, like I said, that people haven't faced before. So it's going to test the resiliencies of many, many people. And as a result, that's why we're seeing these type of risky behaviors, even amongst people that don't suffer with addiction, because we need to undo this somehow. We need to undo this trauma that's affected everybody. We need to do this by returning back to normal, even if it's not safe in certain situations. And again, I'm not saying that we need to go out and go out and just live in a bubble. No way. I'm all about protecting ourselves. We have to inoculate ourselves with life in order to uh, gain that immunity to what life throws at us. And that means get out there and trying to uh, be normal, do it in a safe way. So, um, yeah, it does depend on the individual. It does depend on the individual's history. And, um, you know, but we with having a substance abuse issue, 
we know that that's affecting the way we think. So unfortunately, making smart decisions or decisions that are protective for us can definitely be skewed when we have a substance that alters the way we think uh, on board. So it doesn't help in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing is for sure what you said, none of us were, you know, prepared for this or expecting this. Um, before we close out, Dr. Bot, is there anything else on this topic that you think people should know? You know, there, there's a certain amount, there's a, a balance has to exist. I know it's very hard, especially in these um, difficult times, about not letting negative um, media, negative propaganda, you know, get in, in, in your way. So I, I do advise people who are suffering with a mental illness, who are suffering with, um, you know, an addiction, or anybody in general that, you know, you limit how much negative exposure to certain things on social media, the news, and and and, and uh, through talking with other people, um, because that does not help the situation. If, if, if we're exposed to continuous negative, um, you know, dialogue, it definitely can wear down anybody, even the strongest individuals with the highest resiliency, it, it can wear you down. So, you know, try and continue to live healthy, uh, protect yourself, get your information from reliable and reputable sources. Um, you know, try not to jump on uh, conspiracy theory bandwagons. You know, these all are fuel for uh, us to act out and often act out against us. And unfortunately, when I always say with addiction, it's not the drugs that we abuse, the drugs abuse us. And so um, that being said, you know, the help is out there. Um, try and get it from reputable, um, reputable, uh, reliable individuals and sources where you get your treatment and where you get your information. Yeah, 100 um, percent. Thank you for breaking this down today, Dr. Bot. And to our listeners, AddictionCenter.com has information on the connections between addiction and COVID, as well as advice and information for those who may be interested in learning more about treatment for themselves or their loved ones. You can check out more podcast episodes on Addiction Center, as well as SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with the Doc.